I'm going to tell you something I've never said in public out loud before. My dad has dementia. And it's not something I talk about a lot, but it is something I think about all the time. He's 80 years old. Sometimes he thinks he's still in the army. Other times he's in a hospital in India. Usually what's on the TV is his reality. A commercial for a cruise ship means he's on a cruise. Generally speaking, though, wherever he is, he's trying to get the hell out. He lives in an assisted facility for people with conditions like dementia or Alzheimer's. Most days, my dad shuffles from wall to wall of his room. He hates it, but we know at least that he'll be safe, not crawling shoeless into the backyards of his neighborhood like he was before. He told me the other day that everyone in the facility is glassy-eyed and waiting to die. Then he laughed. (laughs) One of the hardest parts of having a parent with dementia is the moments of lucidity. Those moments make you question yourself, question the decisions you make on their behalf. We chose the facility because it's near his partner in Northern California. She visits him almost daily, brings him things like lattes, pastries, fresh bread and prosciutto. She troubleshoots his TV, which he calls his computer, changes his clothes, and then goes home. And that's pretty much his life. And for a long time, it's killed me to be this far away, a six-hour drive in an emergency. And believe me, there have been times when I thought I had to drive through the night to get to him. But these days, while the coronavirus lurks invisible everywhere, he may as well be on another planet. A few weeks ago, I learned that a patient down the hall from him tested positive for COVID-19. I'll tell you the whole story in a later episode. It's an ongoing issue. But suffice it to say that nothing has ever made the physical distance between us more real. I could feel it in my body. The idea that I couldn't rescue him, couldn't protect him. It's a feeling a lot of us can relate to these days, being away from the people we love, especially the older ones, the people we should be helping during this scary time, the people who are the most vulnerable. Good sense says staying away is actually better for them. But what if the worst happens? What if this is your last chance to say goodbye? This really um, emphasized the sense of isolation, the sense of being very far from our closed ones when it's really important to be close. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Today, we're going to hear from someone who missed a chance to see her 95-year-old grandfather in Vietnam because of the coronavirus. This is Hue Tom telling Neon Hum producer Vikram Patel about her family. My family is scattered a little bit uh, (laughs) everywhere, like uh, on three continents. Um, My parents and my brother are based in France, where I was born and where I grew up. My grandparents on my mom's side lives in Vietnam, where she's from. So are you, uh, how, how do you identify? I'm very French. Uh, French with Vietnamese origins, as we say in France. Um, And a French person with Vietnamese origins who lives in America. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. 
It's it's long. What do you mean it's long? Yeah, you have a lot of details. Well, we don't have, you know, we don't have this notion of, uh, you know, how here you, someone might introduce themselves as I don't know Vietnamese American. We don't have that in France, so we have to make it long. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with your grandfather. I, we used to visit every three or four years um, during summer in Vietnam. And at the time, I was not particularly interested, let's say, in uh, getting to know uh, Vietnam, Vietnamese culture, and, and I was not able to communicate with my Vietnamese family, so there was kind of a disconnect. When I turned about 16, 17, I started to feel um, a niche, let's say, to come a little closer to the Vietnamese side of my family. So when I turned 20, I decided to move to Vietnam on my own and learn the language and get to know them a little bit more. And this is when I feel like I, I got a chance to, to know my grandfather a bit better. Once I was able to communicate with him, he was very prolific in, in telling stories about his um, past. And, and yeah, I, I, I grew an appreciation for quite an extraordinary man. <laughs> Hui Tom isn't kidding when she calls her grandfather extraordinary. He was a leading dignitary of a religion called Cao Dai. And because of this uh, religious activity, let's say that he's gone through a lot. He was in exile in Cambodia for several years. Um, after the end of the Vietnam War, he was imprisoned by the communists for something like eight years over the course of 11 years. And uh, he was a very strong-minded person. So he held his political beliefs extremely strongly. He was known for that. And he was a witty man as well. He was very funny. He had a very witty smile. <laughs> this winter, Hui Tom made plans to visit her grandfather in the spring. He's 95 now. She didn't know how many more chances she would get. Her mom was going to come too. But as concerns about the coronavirus grew, they decided to postpone their trip. What triggered it is when um, Trump closed the borders with uh, people coming from China. And the thing is, I had a layover in China, which would have made it impossible for me to come back and finish my degree here and graduate in spring and all. So, yeah, I had an option of finding a new ticket, but at the, by then everything was much more expensive and there was so much uncertainty about how the coronavirus situation would unfold that um, I thought it was wiser to just cancel this trip and postpone it. My plan was to go back um, maybe later, maybe during summer. Wei Tom canceled her trip in late February when China was still the epicenter of the outbreak. It would still be a few weeks before the coronavirus began changing everyday life in America. But international travel already felt like a bad idea. Wei Tom figured she'd see her grandfather after the coronavirus was no longer a threat. But then something unexpected happened. Her grandfather's health took a turn for the worse. To be clear, he didn't have COVID-19. But right around when she was supposed to be with her grandfather in Vietnam, he started to feel weak and refused to eat. On March 11th, Hue Tom's grandfather was taken to the hospital. And uh, from there, yeah, he, he stayed in the hospital until the 16th and passed away on the 17th which is basically the day before I was supposed to leave. My mom and I were supposed to leave the country. So you and your mom were supposed to be in Vietnam the last two weeks of his life, it turns out. Exactly. 
This was a coincidence, but this is exactly how it was planned, yeah. Can you tell us about those two weeks? Um, it, for sure, as soon as he went to the hospital, um, of course, there was this sense in the air, you know, that it might be the end. There was also um, the idea that it might be like last year or the year before that um, he would recover from this one episode and, and then, yeah, we would have a chance to see him in summer as uh, we were thinking back then. But then as things unfolded at the hospital, it seemed like, yeah, he was not um, actually not willing to recover. You know, he was still um, in many ways still healthy. Like until the very last day I hear from my family who were staying with him the whole time that he was still going up and down his own bed and going to the restroom on his own. And things were still fine in many ways, but he just uh, didn't want to eat and, and didn't want to recover, it seemed like. So at some point it became very obvious, actually um, the very last day on the 16th of March, it became very obvious that this was the end. So take me through those last 24 hours. The last 24 hours were very um, intense for sure. They felt very long. Um, it felt very isolated to, to be here and him there and with everyone on three different continents, like I said. Um, we always knew, you know, especially every time we would go and visit and we always knew that this might be the last time that we see him. We always knew that we might not be around when, when this happens. But the fact that it's not just that we we were not there, but, you know, the idea that we did not even have the option of booking a flight and just be there, if not for the last moments, at least for the funeral or something, this really um, um, emphasized the sense of isolation, the sense of being very far from our closed ones when it's really important to be close. So the last 24 hours, in a sense, um, I was very grateful for the for the family in Vietnam to take that they took the initiative of um, connecting with us via video chat, and one cousin who was around him with him would have my mom on the phone, and another one would have me on the on another phone, and I could hear the echo and and just be in the room, you know, to the extent that that is possible, and. Um, that was really, in a sense, very helpful. At least, you know, um, we had the chance to say goodbye. We felt like we shared this moment with everyone. And that was really, I think it was really important. What did you, what did you talk about through video chat in, the, in those last 24 hours? It's a very um, rich experience you know the conversations were very much uh, centered on, on on him of course um, but i talked to them in two long sessions of a few hours each time and the first time was right after um, he had reached home with the ambulance and everyone was um, sure it was a matter of minutes you know before um, before he passes away and uh, at the time we were still, it's like the, everyone was uh, encouraging me to, to say things to him, to, to wish him good luck and to, uh, to let him know that he's free to go and to say goodbye. And we were still very much talking to the person. 
but then there's the situation in the end it took almost 24 hours yeah before he actually passed away so let's say the next time a few hours later when i was on the phone with them again it was a very different experience because in a sense he was neither here nor there so not not uh, not entirely but still with us partly so by then the conversations were a mix of following very closely how he was doing and the pace of his breathing and uh, and the temperature of his feet you know things that are very very close to to the body and also you know conversations about how people around were doing because everyone was uh, sleep deprived so and people were calling from everywhere so a lot of a lot of activity <laughs> is there a moment that jumps out to you from those conversations that you think you'll you'll keep with you the most not necessarily from the conversations but one moment that i found very uh, meaningful and that i'm i'm very glad you know again that i was able to to take part in it um, remotely is around 5.30, let's say. Um, everyone was um, kind of sure that he was waiting for the 6 a.m. prayer to, to go. And uh, these 30 minutes leading up to the 6 a.m. prayer were very intense, you know, like people were hoping in a way that he would make it until 6 a.m. And at the same time, kind of sure that he was waiting for it. And um, when they actually did the 6 a.m. prayer in the house right next to where he was lying at the time, there was a sense of, um, this was very, I don't know how you say this in English, but very, uh, um, I don't know. You can say it in French, that's fine. Uh, Solanel, I don't know how you say this in English. You want me to look it up? She looked it up. It means solemn, formal. Tom's grandfather made it through the morning prayer. He passed away about 10 hours later. It was afternoon in Vietnam, but four in the morning here in L.A. Tom was asleep when it happened. But even though she was thousands of miles away, Tom was glad that she got to spend those last crucial hours with her grandfather the night before, and her family, even if it was through a screen. Being able to be there digitally will... Of course, it will never be the same as if um, we had been able to be there physically. But um, in a sense, to me, it's more like um, we lived very far away from him for, for a very long time now. And in a way, we were always prepared. I think we were mentally prepared that we might not be there, you know, when this happens. So to me, the possibility of being there digitally kind of um, was kind of a bonus you know it's something I, I did not expect that I might be there as present as I feel like I was in a sense it's not like I was I wasn't talking much I'm still not very comfortable speaking in Vietnamese especially in these moments I don't know I'm I'm more of an observer in many ways with my Vietnamese family but um, but yeah it mattered a lot to be able to share the moment How did experiencing your grandfather's last day the way you did, how did that change you? It raises, this experience raises the question, and also I think what the world is experiencing today is um, raises the question of, um, 
of distance, you know what distance means and the trade-offs between this physical distance and this, how, to what extent can this, uh, the digital means can overcome the physical distance. Um, and, 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 and on this question, I'm not sure yet. I haven't, I don't, I'm not sure how this experience has impacted how I see the situation because I've been away from my family for, and my closest friends and relatives for more than 10 years now. And, and all that is, I know, is made possible by the fact that it's just so easy now to jump on a flight. And I, I, I don't feel that disconnected from them. Not as disconnected as my mom was when she left her country 40 years ago, you know. And, uh, and I know that this is made possible by digital communication, by how easy it is to fly around and to, to visit people. And, and also the type of work I do is, gives me a lot of flexibility. Um, so for sure, the situation, what, what the world is going through right now, questions all of this, you know? And um, so on the one hand, I feel like it definitely reminds me that being away and having all of these means definitely will never be the same as being physically close to people we really care about. And on the other hand, it's, uh, I do feel like I was actually very, very present and very close. And that was maybe not enough, but, uh, but almost. <laughs> A big thank you to Huey Tom for talking to us so openly and sharing your story. Telescope is made possible by the irreplaceable team of producers and editors and engineers make up Neon Hum Media. I miss being in the office with you all. Today's episode was produced by Vikram Patel and Tanner Robbins. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis and me. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. Be sure, if you like this program, to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. We want to stay connected to you during this unprecedented time in our history. So please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you would like to share with us, email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.